Good morning, Calvary. How are you? It is a whopping, I think, 33 degrees warmer than it was like 36 hours ago. So it's like summer, right? Some of you are like, that's too soon, too soon, right? We're in the middle of a 30-day Names of Jesus challenge. If you have been gone and want to catch up, um, basically every single day on our website, we're posting a short devotion, and we encourage you to just study who the names of Jesus are and so that you can become more and more like Jesus. And that leads us into our series, what we're doing right now called I Am. And so as we really take on the characteristics of all of who Christ is, our goal is that you become more of a follower of Jesus. In other words, more like him. So we're studying the I Am, and today we're diving into calling him I Am the Bread of Life. And to get into the I Am of the Bread of Life, I've got to set it up by, by sharing with you one of my favorite childhood stories. This is one of the stories I remember going to Sunday school back in the day, and, and I remember the felt board. For those of you who know the felt board, they used to have these felt boards. Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, what's a felt board? Ask your mother. Some of you can ask your grandmother. And so the felt boards were what they taught, and they had these little characters that came in these packages, and they put them on there, and then after like the third lesson, they'd start falling off, and the kids would all laugh. It was great. And then they'd take the felt board. Anyways, that has nothing to do with the little thing. I remember this story really well, and I love it. It's one of my favorites. So it's found in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. It says this, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was performing by healing the sick. And so Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. And now the Passover Jewish festival was near. And therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? Now, let's just pause right there and get Jesus' humor. They're in the middle of a field, and he's looking at one of his disciples and going, where are you going to find the food to feed them? That is a funny, funny thing. You know this because of the next verse. It says where he will buy so these people can eat. He asked this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. <laughs> where are you going to get the bread? He knew where he's going to get the bread, but I, I just seeing Philip's face panic would have been awesome. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would be enough for all of them to even have a little. One of his disciples, Simon, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy out here who has five barley loaves, or kind of like dinner rolls, and two fish. But what are they for so many? Then Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. And the men numbered about 5,000, so there could have been counting women and children, about 15,000 people. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told the disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with pieces from five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who has come into the world. I love that. I love that passage. I love that story. I love imagining being that little boy. And what little boy or little girl wouldn't love that thought, okay? Now, I have a son. He likes magic tricks. Um, And have you ever thought about what's the difference in a magic trick and a miracle? A magic trick is trying to fool people into thinking that something that can't really happen has happened. A miracle is actually having something happen that can't really happen happen. You understand the difference? So my youngest likes magic tricks. This was a miracle. He took five dinner rolls and two fish, and he had enough left over 
to fill 12 baskets of people. Now, there's a couple realities I want to soak in about this story before we get into the I am bread of life. Reality number one, only one person brought anything and everyone else received. Think about that. Only one person brought anything. This would be like filling Mackey Arena full of people and one boy bringing five dinner rolls and two fish and everyone filling enough to have 12 baskets left over. Pretty cool little story, right? But only one person brought anything. Reality number two, the boy didn't do the work. Jesus did the work. Jesus did the work. Jesus took those five loaves and the two fish and fed everybody. And and I think that's important to know because I like to imagine myself as the little boy when I was a little boy. And still as an adult, I like to imagine myself as a little boy going, here I am. Use me. And all he did was bring him his dinner, right? But still he was willing to give up his dinner so that others could eat. And I love that picture. But here's the sad reality and, and really reality number three I want you to get. We are much more like the crowd than the boy. See, a lot of times when we read stories in the Bible, we like to imagine ourselves as the hero or the heroine. We like to remind, imagine ourselves as the one who's the good. But really, the story of the Bible is an over and over and over about how God is the rescuer and we're really the people in the crowd. Now, I love this because if you really look at this, it beckons us to ask this question. Why were all the people there? In other words, why did they follow Jesus? And that leads me to ask you this question. Why do you follow Jesus? Maybe some of you don't really know. You're just here. Maybe some of you follow Jesus because it's what you've always done. But I think it's a fair question because we say around here we're followers making followers of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, why do you follow Jesus? Look back in verse 2. We see why the crowd was following him. It said this, And a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So before Jesus came and was able to take the five loaves and two fish and feed all those people and have 12 baskets left over, he was already doing things. And, and sometimes you can see that happening around churches. People go, hey, my marriage was better. Jesus is doing some things. Come with me. And so people show up to church waiting for a magic trick. Hey, show me something that's cool. Show me something that's neat. I want to be entertained. I want to see if this God is real, but I'm really expecting something different. I'm really expecting the curtain to be drawn back and me to realize this isn't real. Do you realize that God is still in the miracle business? But why do you show up? Do you show up expecting a miracle? Do you show up expecting God to do something? Why do you follow Jesus? That's an honest question. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verses uh, 23 through 26. Some boats came from Tiberias. So they had gone on and Jesus had said, hey, I love you guys. Now get out of here. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread the Lord had gave thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, in other words, Jesus had left the place where he was, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. That's very important. They went looking for Jesus. Now, get this. This is a funny line. The Bible has lots of funny humor if you really look for it. Here's what it says, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? That's kind of the equivalent of Facebook stalking someone and then going, Oh, really? I didn't know you were pregnant. You knew? You've been Facebook stalking. You, you, you Snapchatted them. You knew, right? 
Oh, Jesus, how did you get? You've been following. You looked everywhere. The 5,000 people, 15,000 people don't just show up and go, oh, we accidentally bumped into you here. That's awkward, right? So Jesus said to them, I assure you, you are looking me for me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little bit confusing. And the commentaries actually argue about what that is about. But it says there, you are not looking for me because you saw the sign, but your bellies were full. The, but the bellies were full because of the miracle. Was the miracle not the sign? Or is that something else? I think the people were confused about that too, because they actually say, okay, verse 30, we skip a couple verses. Here's what it says. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked, what are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I love that. It's an honest dialogue. People go and they go, okay, you fed us. You healed our ancestors. You saved my marriage. You got me a job. You did all these things. What's next, Jesus? What's next? I'm ready to follow you. What's next? I, I want to receive. I want to get. And, and so here's the question. What are you doing in following Jesus? And another question you might ask, another way to look at it is, what sign are you looking for proof that Jesus is enough? What sign are you looking for for proof that Jesus is enough? You see, we have a lot of people who come through the doors of these churches. Not just this church, every church. And as a church gets momentum and grown, grow, we, we've grown quite a bit. People tend to invite their friends. And I'm thankful for that. But a lot of times what we do is we show up to church with this mentality in mind. What's in it for me? And what we're really looking for, even though some of us would admit this is a bad thought process... We show up with this idea in mind. What's in it for me? I better get something, even though I know I shouldn't ask for it, because if I ask for it, then that's selfish and greedy, and I'm not want to be that person. But what's in it for me? And I got news for you. If you've been a church member for 60 years, it's the same idea as if you've been someone who walked in the door for the first day. We're used to getting what we want. We're used to getting things like this. We're used to having everything that we desire. And so here's the interesting thing. Jesus is about to say the following. I am the bread of life. That's the sign you need. I am the bread of life. And so the people are going, great. Give me bread. Do you really want bread? Let me ask you that. I have a little niece. She's a, what I call a carboholic. She, she would be a marathon runner, but she doesn't like to run. But she, in her mind, the way she eats, she's a carboholic. Now, I, I've been told that marathon runners like to carb. I'm not a marathon runner, in case you can't tell. Um, uh, marathon runners like to carb up before that because carbs are really good for uh, keeping energy for long distances and yada, yada, yada. Somebody could correct me later. But that's basically what it is. They carb up, right? We all have heard that. And carbs and bread has its different translations. But every culture finds it. Some cultures find it in tortillas. Some cultures find carbs in rice. Some cultures find uh, carbs in French bread. Some find, you know, in, in good, old, good old white loaf bread and all that kind of stuff. But carbs are 
translated across every culture. And this idea of bread is a substance that everybody understands. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so the people are sitting there going, my belly is full. And they're looking at Jesus saying, okay, show us a sign. And they answered the sign of saying, okay, God, you've given us in the past with the following. They, I just read it. They said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, I like to think that the guy who said that to Jesus was thinking, <laughs> I got him. Proof. Jesus, in the past, you fed us. You fed the people who were in captivity on the journey to the promised land, bread every day. Do it again. And Jesus is like, all right, do you know what you're asking for? I'll be the bread of life because I am the bread of life. But you see, I don't think they understood. Most of us, if we actually had bread every single day, would not be as thankful as we think we would be. Look in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. It'll be on the screen. And here's the story of the people walking through the, 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 promise, the land to the promised land. Contemptible people among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites cried again and said, who will feed us meat? Amen. We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Some of you are like, I'm ready for lunch. But now our appetite is gone, and there is nothing to look at but this manna. But I am the bread of life. Nothing to look at. I'm sick and tired of bread. Now, context. God's people were in bondage in Israel. They were being whipped, persecuted, killed. But hey, they had cucumbers and melons. They were, they were not able to do what they wanted to do. They weren't able to worship freely. They were from sun up to sundown working and had a heavy burden on them. And God set them free and said, come on, we're going on a journey to the promised land. I've come to set you free. And he sent this guy named Moses. And Moses comes down and he says, let my people go. And they go on this journey and they start wandering. And then Charlton Heston shows up. I don't know how that works. And then they cross the Dead Sea, the Red Sea. And, and then they parts and they go across. And all of a sudden they look and there's these soldiers coming to come and take them back into captivity. And they're like, why do we go? Just so the enemy could come and take us away. And all this is found in Exodus, if you want to read it. And they come, and as the soldiers are coming, the Red Sea collapses in on the soldiers. And they're like, whoa, God did this awesome thing. And all we have is bread. Our life is so hard. And yet we find the story repeated in this story. God, give us bread. Do you really want bread? Would that satisfy you? What would satisfy you with God? Just a real internal question this morning. When would you be filled to the place where you're like, I'm good? John 6, 32 says this. Jesus said, I assure you, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives you life to this world. 
And they said, sir, give us this bread always. And he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told him, no one who will come to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Man, that sounds awesome. I'll never be hungry. But I have to eat bread every day? You see, we're used to getting exactly what we want. And I think that's a real problem in our culture. I think it's a real problem in our world. We sit there and go, I I can have whatever I want. I don't like this church. I'm going to go to another one. I don't like that one. I'm going to another one. I don't like this marriage. I'm going to go find another one. I don't like this job. I'm going to go find another one. And we sit there and we go, I'm so discontent. And if I could only have a little bit more money in my bank account, if I could only have a, a different meal, if I could only do what I want, I, I just, I, we spend our life going from problem to problem. And, and somehow in the core of who we are, we're never satisfied. We're always looking for the best thing because we have so many choices. We somehow think if we could make the right choice, if we can make the right discernment, if, we, if God would just somehow show up in our life and go, turn left. Ooh, that was really loud. Sorry. Turn left. Oh, God wants me to turn left. And turn right. Okay. And, and that's kind of what we expect God. And so we have all these choices and all these options. And we somehow think if I can just find the right options, I will finally be satisfied. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me is already there. And I think we have to ask ourselves the deep and hard questions this morning. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror, even though there isn't a mirror here. Are you satisfied with Jesus right here? Right now? How do I get there? John 6, 53 through 58. I'm going to read some weird verses. If you're new to church, I'm going to explain it. So don't worry. So Jesus said to him, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, I told you it was weird. You do not have life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on that last day because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your fathers ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. So this is not a story about vampires or zombies, okay? Or cannibals, aren't we glad? What Jesus is saying here is he's foreshadowing what's about to happen. He's telling the disciples, I'm about to die on the cross. And he's showing them that he's going to kind of talk about in the last supper in the upper room that he's going to tear off a piece of the bread and say, this bread represents me. In other words, my body was torn for you and my blood would be shed for you. And if you're really going to follow me, you've got to be willing to take this on. In other words, if followers follow Jesus, they become like him. And they're willing to go wherever the journey leads that says, I'm going to follow Jesus. Are you willing to break your flesh open? Are you willing to pour your blood out for the sake of following Christ? This is where you will find your satisfaction. Say, so where does it say the big screen TV? I'll just take a steak every now and then. Is that all right? 
Hear me, you, you may get the big screen TV, you may get the steak, you may get the promotion, you may even get the girl and 2.3 kids and the white picket fence. I don't ever know where we get the 2.3, but it, that's what statistics say. But you'll find without Jesus, none of those things will satisfy you. You want to be satisfied? You got to be satisfied with Jesus. So then the, the question is, what is the bread of life? Well, the bread of life, Jesus, is the sustainer, the provider. He is enough. He is the sustainer. He will sustain you through the difficulties of this journey. He will sustain you through whatever comes your way. He will sustain you when life seems to fall apart. He will provide for you. He will make sure that your steps are taken care of. And, and sometimes we go, okay, but how do I know that? And, and I want to just see. And, and can you, someone just tell me the future? And we struggle with this idea. And we say, I just want to be at peace all the time. Well, the peace we have is resting in who Jesus is, not in getting what we want. You know how I know this? I have a son who loves ice cream. He may be the someone who loves magic tricks. I'm not saying. And if I gave him the choice, what would you want for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? You know what he would say? Ice cream. Milkshakes. Some of the kids in the room say, sign me up. What up? I broke my jaw in eighth grade. I did. Anybody in this room broken your jaw? It's miserable. I broke my jaw and I had braces at the time and they wired my mouth shut. So I learned to talk like this really well because I couldn't open my teeth. And you know what you can't get when you have your teeth wired shut, food. So you know how you eat food? Through a straw. You know what they don't make through a straw? Salty things. You know what they make through a straw? Sweet things. You know what I ate a lot of? Ice cream. You know who can't stand ice cream anymore? This guy. You know who got lots of cavities? This guy. I could tell you story after story about that, but here's the point. If you ate ice cream breakfast, lunch, and dinner because you said that's what I want, you would be in the corner in a fetal position because your stomach ached. Because your body wasn't made for that. For the same reason we don't feed our kids ice cream breakfast, lunch, and dinner. At least we shouldn't, right? The same reason that we don't do that is the same reason that God doesn't always get us what we want. <laughs> I love this quote. This quote is from a commentary that I read last week. It becomes clear that the one who knows us thoroughly, far better than we know ourselves, is taking the trouble to train us, to correct our faults, to grant us chances to rise above our natural weaknesses. In other words, I want you to realize this story. When Jesus says, I am the bread of the life, it's the same story as it was when Moses was there. It's the same story that Jesus was speaking to them at this time in the New Testament. It's the same story we've always lived. We were in bondage. Jesus came to set us free. And he, along the journey, has said, come with me. We're headed to the promised land. The enemies and the adversaries of the Lord will be defeated by the power of the Lord. And along the way, I'm going to give you bread, little drippets of bread from heaven in the morning dew. You're going to wake up not knowing where it came from. You're just going to see it. And you have one of two options. You can go, God, you are the provider and the sustainer. Thank you for this bread. Or you're going to wake up in the morning and go, bread again? And I don't know about you, 
But when I look at the story and the power of the gospel, I don't find anywhere that it says the followers of Jesus are filled with disgruntled, lack of ambition, complaining, negative, pessimistic people who sit there and go, Eeyore is my idol. I don't find people going to churches going, oh, this church needs to do all this because, oh. And the way I really find it manifested is, caution, I'm about to get personal with myself, which means I'm probably going to get personal with some of you too, okay? The way you really know you're not walking with the Lord is when you start going, if they would only change, then I would be happy. That should send some big old warning lights in your head that says, your life is focused on you. And you will never be satisfied with who God wants you to be when that happens. Levi Lusco says this. The less we need from this world, the more you can do for it. The less you need from this world, the more you can do for it. In other words, the more we realize that we're on a journey, you and I. If you have a relationship with Jesus, come on, we're, we've already left the bondage. We're, we're no longer going to be a slave. We're no longer going to be destroyed. We're no longer going to be defeated. We're headed towards the promised land. And the reason you're frustrated is we're not to the promised land yet. That's the next life. And along this journey, we're going to sit there and go, there's hardships. Along this journey, we're going to go, the enemy's coming, God. I don't know how you're going to do this, but he will take care of it. Why? Because he's the bread of life. He's the sustainer. He's the provider. And you're going to wake up in the morning going, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. And you're going to walk out and they're going to go, oh, this bread. <laughs> Who knew? God always will take care of you. And in the option of the journey, you can sit there and you go, I wish I was not on this journey. Or you can be thankful that you've been set free from a life of misery, corruption, and disdainment. Depravity has been defeated. And the choice is yours. The fruits of the Spirit are peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Does that qualify you? So here's the beauty. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He doesn't say, I'm the pizza with all the toppings. He says, I'm the bread of life, and anyone who comes to me can rest in me. So here's our Monday morning application today. Be content and focus on eternity. Easier said than done, right? How do I do that? Well, let me give you a, a couple ways to help. So these are the sub-Monday morning applications. We'll call them Tuesday and Wednesday applications, if you will. The first one is confession. When was the last time you confessed that your life is about you? As the person who isn't confessing, in other words, telling God, God, I messed up, probably is not really worried about living for God. They're really living for themselves. Testify. Say, I don't know what to confess. Ask God and watch that movie unfold in your eyes. It'll be horrific. And then what the beautiful part of that is after you go through confession, it brings you back to the realization that Jesus died on a cross for you. And he shed his blood for you. And that will lead you to a posture of thanksgiving. 
Because in the posture of thanksgiving, you're sitting there going, God, I'm so unworthy of this. I'm so shouldn't be here, but yet you sustain me. You provide me. God, through my divorce, I don't know how I would have made it. God, through this cancer, I don't know what I would have done. Through this loss of job, I don't know how I would have made it. But God, you are a sustainer. You are a provider. And I don't understand why we're going on this journey, but I know that this journey is going to bring me closer to you. And I believe that you are good. You are the bread of life. You are the provider and the sustainer. You are the great I am. And I trust that you will never abandon me and you will never forsake me. And one day I'm going to get to that promised land with you. I trust in that journey. So God, be my bread of life. Be my breath every day and sustain me on this journey along the path. Church, you want to have a good 2018? Be content realizing that Jesus is enough. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you to realize you'll never be satisfied with this world. You've probably tried in a billion other ways. But the reason you're not is because, well, we live for ourselves, and that's called sin. It's not God's best plan for your life. And ultimately, it will lead to your destruction because the only way to live what's best for you in your mind is to put other people down. And that doesn't make sense. So you've lied and you cheated. You've done something that you know is wrong. You know it's wrong. And that separated you from God forever. But there is a loving God who would send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and would shed his blood and break his body open and say, if you want to be a follower, follow me. So we say right here, followers make followers of Jesus. And a follower is simply described as someone who understands the need of Jesus and takes the steps to follow him. And if you're willing to do that and say, I'm going to take the steps to follow him, then you can become a believer, a follower, a Christian. We'd like you to stop by the next step space on the way out and talk to us more about that. Fill out the card and respond to our email and, and let us tell you because it's not a prayer, it's a life. Christian, if you're really going to follow Jesus, here's what I would encourage you. You have to wake up every morning content with the bread of life. Not looking for happiness in the idols. Not looking for happiness around the corner in the paycheck or in the perfect relationship or in everyone else changing the way they live. You have to go, God, sustain me. Provide and know that he will. And ultimately what we're asking is our hearts to come to a place and a posture of saying, Lord, I need you. And every breath and every hour and every waking moment, Lord, I need you to come in. So if you would, I'm going to give you just a little space to do that. As we pray, God, I thank you for what you're doing in this room. Move even now and show us that you will take care of us even when we don't see the journey you do. And like you knew what you were going to do with Philip when he said, where are we going to get the fish? You already know. So God, I ask in this moment for us to trust in that. Church, in this moment, very silently and to yourself between you and your God, would you take a moment and just confess anything that you need to confess to God? Selfishness, worry, trying to take control of the journey. Idols of money, relationships, the perfect ideal. And Father, as we confess these moments to you, I ask that you help us to remind us that you still love us.
shift your heart into a, a posture of thanking him for still loving us, for still caring for us despite the fact that we're selfish, despite the fact that we're not perfect. And tell him how good he is. Thank him for the heat in your house, the health of your family, the loving touch of a neighbor that dropped a note in your box this week, a job to pay your bills. And God, as we are thankful for your provision, we ask that you help our heart to always be focused on you and not to be shifted into those things. God, would you be our bread of life, our sustainer, our provider enough? And God, we confess even now we need you. Amen.